Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. Continuing on in Hebrews, today our main passage is Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. I'm going to read that and we'll jump into it. Verse 13 says this, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves and for them, A confirming oath ends every dispute because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to their heirs of the, to the heirs of the promise. He guaranteed it with an oath for refuge, mighty and strong, have courage, might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. All right. So uh, today we are unpacking a very hope-filled scripture. The truth is that Jesus tells us in John 16, that in this world, you will have trouble. Welcome to church. We do not get to choose between suffering and not suffering. It's not something like when you're bored and they're like, hey, do you want to have a pain-free life or do you want to have a life where you experience pain? It's not like a window seat or aisle seat. Yes, Rascal Flats, life may be a highway, but you do not get to choose where you sit. Pain, suffering is a part of being human. We do not get the choice in whether we get to avoid it or experience it. And the truth is, if we live honestly in our reality, it means that we will face suffering and you don't get a choice, but you do get a choice in how you navigate that suffering. If we're honest, many of us have not done the best job handling these hardships. We let the things that have happened to us in the past determine how we live in the future. Uh, Dr. Lee Warren, uh, he's a neurosurgeon, 
And he has a book that he wrote recently called Hope is the First Dose. He spent uh, many years serving in the Iraq war. He actually did over 200 brain surgeries in the field tent in the desert in the middle of the, in the, the height of the war in Iraq. And then and he returned home. Life kind of went on as usual. And then the way he tells the story, it was almost out of the blue. It wasn't like he came home with PTSD, but one day it just hit him. And all the things of the war began to kind of overwhelm him, and he experienced the PTSD that comes with that. And then in 2013, he experienced what I can only imagine as one of the worst things that can happen to a person, in that he lost a son. He he experienced the death of his 16-year-old son, and as he tells the story in this book, it, it, your life, when you experience tragedy and hardship, it spirals out of control. And there's so often, and he writes with this interesting perspective, because not only is he a Christian, so he, and he enjoys theology, so he has this theological point of view. Not only has he experienced PTSD and the death of a son, and he, and he writes from that experience, but he's also a brain surgeon, so he knows how the brain works and the chemicals and, and how all that. And so when he writes, he's able to write from this kind of unique perspective from all three angles. And it's really powerful as he unpacks this. In the recent interview, he talked about how he deals with the, the trauma that comes with tragedy and that our brain actually has this reaction. It's an organ, just like all the other organs of your body. And it has like an acute reaction to trauma. Whenever you experience something that's a suffering or hardship like that, our brain naturally makes everything negative. It's like a reaction that we can't control. And so he talks about how in that moment when he's dealing with the death of a son and all these things that his his world is spiraling out of control, but he's able to move forward through that because he has his hope anchored in something solid. He says the only way that we're able to move on through these pains is if we are holding on to a truth that even though our circumstances tell us that truth is not real, we know that it is real. Now, this is wordy and complicated, so hang with me here. If you're going to navigate the suffering of this world, you must have a foundation in your life that you know is true, even when the tragedy around you makes you think that everything you thought was true isn't. Because that's what trauma does. It makes everything negative. When something happens to you or you've experienced something in your past and you begin to think on that and relive it, we get in a place where we blame ourselves that everything around us is our fault. Or we get to a place where we think that God isn't real. Or worse, we get to a place where we think that God is real and he doesn't love us. That's what trauma does. That's what these tragedies do. That's what suffering happens. And that when there's that suffering, the only way that you're able to move forward is if you have a firm foundation that you are anchored to. Verse 19 says that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Now, when we hear the word anchor, all of us immediately know what that is, right? We all get a picture of what an anchor is, but it's something that is uh, 
holds us firmly and securely to something. Um, you think about climbers who, if you've ever been rock climbing, I have not. It's terrifying. I will never do that. Okay. But they have these things. I used to think that like, now, there are some climbers that do the free climb, but most of them, they climb up and they have these little anchors that they stick into the rock face. That way, if they were to fall, that anchor holds the rope secure to the rock face so they don't fall to the ground and get injured or worse. Right. So they have an anchor that's securely holding that rope to the rock face. Um, If you've ever been a part of a friend group or a sports team, oftentimes there's a person in that group that is called the anchor of the group, right? They're kind of like the captain or they hold the group together. They keep the group going in the same direction. Many of us picture what the author was getting at when they wrote this passage, the anchor of a boat right? The anchor of a boat is something you throw overboard. It kind of has two purposes. If you think about the anchor of a boat, it's two purposes. One purpose is to keep the boat from drifting. Go back to week two, all right? You can listen to that message online. Go back to week two, where the anchor keeps you from drifting, but it also keeps a boat steady in the storm. You could throw the anchor overboard in the midst of rough waters, and it steadies the pitch and the roll of the boat and keeps it from overturning. So when a boat is going through a storm and the water and the current is out of control, the anchor holds it steady, and the anchor keeps it from overturning in the storm. Hope is this anchor for us. As you navigate the things that you've been through in life, as you navigate the suffering that you don't get a choice about, hope is how we are anchored and how we are able to stay connected Connected to the firm foundation, hope is what allows us to get through those sufferings. So if hope is the anchor for you and I to understand how hope anchors us in times of suffering, I think we have to ask two questions. Two questions. <laughs> the first question, what is hope? If hope, hope is this thing that is supposed to anchor us, what exactly is that? And the second one, what is hope anchored to? The first one, what is hope? The reason I want to start here is because I think many of us use the word hope in situations where it's not actually hope, right? Hope is not wishful thinking. This this past week, I was uh, sitting at home. I was going into work at one. And so I had dropped the girls off and I was actually working on this message and I got to a place where like the thoughts were flowing and I didn't want to forget it. So I'm trying to get it all down on paper. So I'm typing this stuff out, taking these notes and I look up and I realize that it's time for me to get ready for work, but I don't want to forget this train of thought that I'm on. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to get this, this stuff down on paper. And so I'm writing it, I'm getting it down and I'm following that rabbit and I'm getting all this stuff down. I look at them like, okay, I'm going to have to run to get ready. So I sprint, I start getting ready for work as fast as I can. I get in the car and I start going to work. If I, everything goes smoothly, I'm going to be a cool 10 minutes late. Like this is, this just happens. Okay. So I'm like, oh, this is not good. I'm on my way to work. I don't know if you've ever gotten off of I-20 onto the bridge in Conyers. I'm pretty sure that's what hell is going to be like. Okay. Absolutely miserable. Cars always block the intersection. The lights are green for the shortest amount of time and they're red forever. Okay. That's just how it is, and it's miserable. All of those lights in the whole intersection are awful, but the one getting off the highway is the worst. So I'm getting off the highway. I'm approaching this light. There's no cars there, and the light is red. So I'm thinking, okay, it's been red for a minute. Hopefully it's going to turn green. I hope it turns green. My hope has no control over that light. All right, what I'm really saying is I wish this light would turn green. And then I'm like, I hope when it turns green that the cars aren't blocking the intersection. That hope 
was crushed in both instances. It was not a hope. It was a wish. I got there. The light did not turn green. I sat there for another hour and a half. Not that long. Okay, but it felt like it because I'm running late. It finally turns green, and the cars are blocking the intersection. We have two lanes that are trying to merge into one lane to get through. It's miserable. My hope in that moment was crushed because it wasn't real hope. It was wishful thinking, wishing that this certain circumstances would go my way. We hear people say, I hope I win the lottery. Your odds of winning the lottery are less than you going to the moon, all right? Chances are you are not going to win the lottery. That is not not hope that is grounded in reality. It's wishful thinking, and that hope has no power to change your life, and it has no power to navigate through suffering. So hope is not a wish. Hope is also not optimism. Now, I'm a pretty optimistic guy. I like to look on the bright side. I'd rather you be optimistic than pessimistic, okay? But here's the deal. Optimism is not Christian hope. Optimism says, you know what? Things will work out. But the truth is, sometimes things don't work out. Optimism says, you know what? It's not that bad. But the truth is, in reality, sometimes it is that bad. Optimism is like little Annie, right? The sun will come out tomorrow. I'm sorry. I wrote it down and I said I wasn't going to sing it and then I sang it. Okay, I'm sorry for that, that you had experienced that. But all right, sometimes the sun doesn't come out. Sometimes it is cloudy and rainy and miserable all day and you don't get to go play disc golf like you thought you were going to get to go and it's terrible, all right? Sometimes the sun doesn't come out. Optimism is like this. Once again, it's not grounded in reality. Right? If I sit down with a glass of 1% milk and I hope that it tastes like real milk, I'm going to be disappointed. Right? In the words of uh, Ron Swanson, 1% milk is just water lying pretending to be milk. Okay? So there's optimism isn't bad, but it makes a lousy anchor. Right? Because if you use optimism to anchor your hope and it's not anchored in reality, that optimism can be crushed. Optimism says, I have cancer, but it could be worse. Hope says, I serve a risen Lord that will one day destroy cancer once and for all. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not optimism because neither of those things are grounded in reality. And if you put your anchor in that, it will be washed away. Now, there's another part of hope that is grounded a little bit more in reality. But I want to make sure that we address that too, because hope is not just expectation. Now, there is an expectation in hope, and we're going to get there. Like if I go out and I plant some tomato seeds and I water them and I take care of them, I have a hope that I'm going to get some tomatoes, right? So there's this reality There's an expectation that that could happen. But as I've shared before, I once did this, and the tomato that I did get was awful, all right? So just because you have this hope on this expected thing that could happen doesn't mean it's going to. So even though it is grounded in reality, there's a chance that that hope gets crushed. This is sad to talk about. I have a coworker who had an expectant wife, right? We say she's expecting because she's pregnant. There's a hope that they're going to have a baby. And at 13 weeks, they had a miscarriage. It was a hope and an expectation, but the expectation crushed them 
because it didn't become a reality. What we have to understand is that hope can't be based in something that has a chance to fade. Hope is not optimism. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not just expectation. Hope is based on the certainty of God's word. Hope is a confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. It's based on his word, not my wishes. It's based on what he has revealed, not what I feel. It's not a, I hope so, but rather it's a, I hope because he said so. If you look in scripture, there are over 7,000 promises, 7,000 promises for the one who has their faith in Jesus, for believers. In scripture, there are over 7,000 promises. And we're told in Hebrews that God cannot lie. He can't lie. So we can put our hope, we can put our faith, we can put our anchor in the fact that God will keep his promises. Hope is a confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. He will redeem your suffering. I, I had this conversation this week. You may have said this, so I, you know, I want to say this with grace. I kind of hate the phrase, everything happens for a reason, right? We hear it and we say it, but the truth is when that phrase is used, oftentimes it means that God has caused this pain. God has caused this evil. God has caused this suffering for whatever reason. And the truth is because sin is a reality in our world, there are times where pain and suffering happen and it is not God's will that that pain or that evil has occurred. God cannot do evil. It is against his will. It is against who he is. But he does give us free will and because of that there is sin and there are times that evil happens. And what's so great about God and putting our hope in him is that we know that just because that bad happened doesn't mean that God caused it and it happened for a reason, but it does mean that God can redeem that pain. He can redeem that suffering. He will give you purpose in your pain. The, the uh, Dr. Lee Warren that I was talking about earlier, he started a podcast and he said that he's had several people write in that I was going to take my life today, but then I heard your story and how God gave you hope and it changed my life. I don't think it was God's desire that his son was murdered. But through that, God redeemed that suffering and he gave purpose to that pain because God will take all things and work it to the good of those who are called according to his purpose. For those that love him, God takes that pain and that suffering and he transforms it. He will one day destroy all evil. We can hold on to the promises of God because we know that one day they will be fulfilled. Now, there are some promises There are some promises that won't be fulfilled until the end of time when Jesus returns. Our text today talks about this promise that was given to Abraham, this promise that he would be the father of many nations, that God will multiply him and bless him. And Abraham received that promise and it was unbelievable because he was already old. Then he had to wait for decades before it actually came into fruition. So Abraham received this promise and he's stuck waiting, wondering when God's going to fulfill it. Why hasn't he experienced it yet? We actually see if you go read this story, he, he tries to take God's promise that's given to him and he tries to make it happen on his own power. And we see sin and messed up situation with Ishmael and Hagar and all that that surrounds that situation because Abraham tried to take this story, this promise that God had given him. And instead of waiting on God to fulfill it, he tried to do it himself. 
But God, we see that God says that I make my promises and I keep them promises. And eventually Abraham begins to walk and he gets to, has a son. We see that, the, that Jesus comes from that line. That because of that, the, the, God blesses all, the whole world. He saves the whole world because of the promise he gave Abraham. There are times where it might seem like the promises aren't going to happen, but God has until the end of time to fulfill his promises. And we can trust them. He says in verse 13 that he had made the promise to Abraham and that he swore by himself. Verse 16 says that people swear by something greater than themselves that, and that confirming oath ends every dispute. I used to get in trouble all the time as a little kid for taking the Lord's name in vain. I don't know if you guys ever did this. Me and my brother and my cousin, we'd be arguing. And we'd be like, swear to God. I swear to God I'll do this. Or you better swear to God, right? Because we were having this argument. We are having this fight. And we were trying to give weight to our words. We were trying to give weight to their words. So we would swear to the greatest thing we could think of, right? We'd swear to God. And my mom would be like, don't say that. You're using the Lord's name in vain. I'm like, no, we're, we're not. I mean, we're swearing to God. We're giving him the ultimate power, okay? I, didn't, I tried to convince her, but it never worked. <laughs> but you think about it. Uh, I'm going to get nerdy, okay? I love the Lord of the Rings, they, uh, Gollum and uh, Sam and Frodo get in this little argument, this little fight, and they need Gollum to lead them to Mordor. And so they have him swear by the greatest thing he knows, right? So he swears by the ring that he will lead them. And so they, they don't really trust him, but they are able to kind of trust him because his words are given weight because he swears by the greatest thing he knows. And so we're told in the text here that God has given Abraham a promise and he swears by none other than himself because he is the greatest thing in all of creation. He's not created. He did the creating. He's above all. He's over everything. Everything comes from him. He is the almighty God, creator of the universe. And he says, I swear by myself and I cannot lie so you can trust the promises that I give you. We've talked about this before. I'm not going to go into the whole thing now, but he, he makes an oath with Abraham. He, he slaughters all these animals, which was an oath that was done in Abraham's day. They would walk through those animals. If you, they said, you know what? If you, don't, if you don't keep your end of the deal, may I end up like these animals? And in that moment, God causes Abraham to fall asleep and he walks through the animals on his own saying, if I don't keep up my end of the deal, may I end up like these animals? And Abraham, if you don't keep up your end of the deal, May once again, I end up like these animals. And he takes the oath on behalf of himself and Abraham. And we see that oath fulfilled in Jesus Christ on the cross, that he went to the, di- he went to the cross and he died. He was slaughtered just like those animals, that we might have forgiveness, that our sins might be redeemed, that that is the ultimate promise that we have in Christ. And, and here we see the Scripture saying you can trust the promises of God because he has made an oath upon himself and he fulfills that and he cannot lie. You can have an anchor that is grounded in a firm foundation in the promises of God in his word. Dr. Lee talked about how he, in his theology, he understood that in the end time there was going to be a resurrection, that all the believers are going to be resurrected. They're going to be walking this earth with the creator God. And he knew that one day he would see his son again. But he talked about that acute trauma and how when your brain is, has that experience, everything is negative. And he says in the heat of that moment, he could not wrap his mind around that promise. It seemed too far away. But he knew that God has always been faithful. And even in the moment when he couldn't wrap his mind around that, he was able to experience the promise right now in his life. 
he was able to hang on to Psalm 34, 18 that says, the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. He was uh, at the, the funeral for his son. And at the same time, his grandchild was being born at a hospital down the street. And he talks about how it was this mix of emotions. The joy did not make the pain go away, but he knew that there was this light in the midst of the darkness. And even though he couldn't wrap his mind around that future promise, he had a promise right now that he knew God was faithful, that even now when he was brokenhearted and he was crushed in his spirit, that God was near to him. And if that promise was true, then he knew the promise of the end times would be true. And he could hold on to it, even though when his circumstances told him that everything he thought was true isn't true, he was able to be anchored in the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, knowing that the promises of God are true. Hope is a confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. Certain expectation in God's promises. So if that's what hope is, what is it anchored to? The author in our text, he, uh, he, he spells it out for his, his readers. He said, look, there's, we have Jesus, right? The, he is our anchor. Jesus has entered Uh, behind the curtain on our behalf as a forerunner. He has become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So you can go back to week one where we talked about the curtain and the veil being torn. So Jesus is the one that's done this. He's become our high priest and he starts talking about Melchizedek. Goes into chapter seven, unpacks all this stuff about Melchizedek. Now twice this week, I was asked what I was going to be preaching on on Sunday, once at work and once around the dinner table with our family. And uh, when I mentioned Melchizedek, immediately people were like, huh? People don't know who that is, all right? It's this king. He's mentioned briefly in the Old Testament. There's mentioned a few times in the Psalms, and he's mentioned here in Hebrews. And there's this picture. The reason the author does this, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. You can look up and do some research on Melchizedek when you can. But but Melchizedek, which we see, I'm going to read chapter 7. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God the Most High, met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. He was without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. There's this story in the Old Testament um, we see that Abraham has been successful in battle. He, he's uh, going to meet some other kings. Melchizedek is a king, and he comes out and he meets Abraham. And Abraham, even though he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace, think about Jesus, king of righteousness, king of peace, he gives him a tenth of everything and begins to treat him as if he is a priest. So the author has taken this moment. We talked about in week, um, chapter four about Jesus is our high priest. The author stays on Jesus as the high priest for multiple chapters. They're there again today. Jesus is the high priest, but he ties him to this king. So we see this combination of king priests given and put on Jesus. It says that Melchizedek resembles Jesus. It's this picture that he's trying to get his readers to understand. Remember, they're being tempted to go back to the Old Testament, the, the priestly worship of sacrificing animals. And he's saying, no, you have a risen king who is also the priest. Melchizedek, we think, is a real person. Most of the theologians and people who are smarter than me, they don't think it was uh, like Jesus showed up randomly in the picture. They believe he's a real person, but the, the scriptures do not tell us about his past 
They don't tell us about his future because they want Melchizedek to be this uh, understanding that points to who Jesus is. So we see it in the Psalms and we now see it in Hebrews. They're saying that Jesus, he doesn't become a priest because he comes from the line of Aaron. He doesn't lose his priesthood because he doesn't die. Jesus raises from the dead. Melchizedek, we never see his death. We never hear about his past. He doesn't have a genealogy. He gets his priesthood because he's appointed by God. He's before Aaron ever existed. Jesus is king. He comes from the line of Judah. They have their mind wrapped around that because they've been told all their life that king was going to come through the line of Judah. But now they know that Jesus is not just the king. He's the high priest. This is once again, the author is trying to get the readers of this letter. He's trying to get the Hebrew people to understand, quit putting your false hope in this sacrificial system. Put your hope in Jesus. He is your king and he is your high priest. Now it's hard for us to kind of wrap our mind around that because you've never been tempted to go back to the sacrificial system. It's not something you were raised to do. You didn't get hope by having the priest sacrifice an animal to cover your sin. But we are tempted, we are tempted to go back to old ways of false hope and not putting our hope in Jesus, the high priest. He is the foundation of our hope. He is what our hope is anchored in. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He faced every temptation, but he did not sin. He faced death and death lost. He is our firm foundation. In him, all evil is destroyed. All suffering will be brought to an end. All things will be made new. All things will be, remade, will be redeemed. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the high priest. And we have to stop going back to our false hopes and put our hope in Jesus. I see, we see it in our culture all the time. People put a hope in, in money, hoping that, man, if I can just get to that next tax bracket, if I could just make this much money, we'll be okay. We'll, my, my life will be straightened out and I'll be good to go. That's wishful thinking. That's not a true hope in Christ. Put the money in stuff. If I could just get this car or that house or this boat or that experience, we put our money, we put the, our hope in these things that we might could gain. Next year, an election year, there are many people who don't believe that Jesus is going to make all things right, so they put their hope in politics. They think if they can get the, the right person in office, then everything will be made right. But we serve a person who's been put on the cross and Jesus is making all things right there. We can't put our hope in politics. We can't put our hope in entertainment or a career or a boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse. There's so many people are like, if I could just get into a perfect relationship, then everything will be better. Comfort, pleasure, the bottom of a bottle, whether it be glass or plastic prescription bottle. So many people want to numb the pain of the suffering they've experienced. But that is all false Hope, the only true hope we have is found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in those other things. Hope has to be anchored in Christ. So how do we do that? This is, I'm ending here quickly, okay? How do we put our hope, how do we anchor it in Christ? Paul tells us in Colossians that if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden in Christ. We have to change our focus from our circumstances around us and focus on Jesus. And then Jesus tells us in Luke 18, always pray and never lose hope. 
Those are your options. You can panic or you can pray. You can worry or you can worship. Never lose hope by constantly praying, by focusing on the things above. What we have to understand is our feelings are real, but they're not truth. Think about it like this. If you walk into your garage and there in your garage is a bear, okay, what do you feel? Panic? Scared? Maybe you want to try to wrestle it. Okay, I don't recommend that. All right. Panic, there's fear, right? There's, there's real fear. You see this bear, it's tearing into your stuff. It starts to charge you. You're terrified. Now, the other night, I'm laying in bed, and I'm almost asleep, and I hear this loud crash. What, what do I feel? <laughs> fear? Panic? Worry? Is somebody breaking into my house? The truth is, None of that stuff was real, but I felt the same feelings as if I had seen a bear in my garage. What it was is there was a bear in my children's bedroom, and that bear had fallen off the bed and hit a water bottle, and the water bottle clashed to the floor, okay? There was a teddy bear, in case you didn't get there, all right? The truth is, when I'm in that moment, the feelings are real as if there's a bear in the garage, but they are not true, And if you're able to take a step back and anchor our emotions and our feelings in reality and the things that are true, even though it didn't feel like it, I'm able to move my thoughts to the front part of my brain and I'm able to think through the process and get up and research what's going on in the house and know that changes are nobody's breaking in. And sure enough, nobody was breaking in. It was just a water bottle hitting the floor. The feelings are the same, but the situation is not. When we go through things in life, we can be overwhelmed with the feeling. When we go through suffering, we can be overwhelmed with feelings of defeat, despair, hopelessness. We can begin the, the thought process of this is all my fault. Everything is going to be ruined. Nothing's going to work out. God doesn't love me. God, doesn't, God isn't real. I'll never be happy again. We have all of these thoughts that go through our head. But we have to realize that we have to change our focus and think on the things above through prayer. And we can hold on to an anchor of hope that is not anchored to temporary circumstances, but is anchored to hope in Christ. You have to have a plan. I, uh, we were all taught in grade school what to do if you catch on fire, right? If you were to catch on fire, what are you doing? Exactly. Now I have yet to catch on fire. I've never got to use that technique, but if it ever happens, I'm ready and I'm prepared. If we're going to face suffering by being grounded in truth, we have to be prepared. You have to decide right now before you get there who God is. You have to decide if you will place your faith in Jesus or if you will place your faith in a false hope that is not grounded in reality. Hope is a confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. When you navigate the difficulties of life, let your hope be fixed on Jesus, even when your circumstances tell you what you thought was true isn't true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 